We're looking today at uh, Revelation chapter 3. We're going to be there, but we're going to read a couple of other verses before we look at Revelation 3, but you put your finger in there. We're going to look at Colossians chapter 4, and we're going to look at uh, Revelation chapter 1 and pray for several families that are normally here that aren't here this morning. I guess that's pretty much the standard in churches, but we have some folks ministering and some folks out traveling and, and folks out sick. And, uh, and some may be sick in the head and others sick in the bed, but uh, they're sick. And, uh, but uh, God has us here. You know, as, when you're young, they say you're good looking. As you get older, they say you're looking good. Then it's looking good for your age. And then the last one is looks like you're getting along pretty good. So that, that's, that's the aging process. I was thinking about hymns and how uh, we wish we could change the lyrics and the titles. For instance, we sing, Guide me, O thou great Jehovah. Wouldn't it be good if the chorus went, I can't remember where I parked. And then blessed assurance, we should change to blessed insurance. Uh, we should change, um, it is well with my soul, we should add, but my whole body aches. Go tell it on the mountain, but please speak up. Just a slower walk with thee. And give me that old timer's religion. So anyway, I thought they were kind of funny. <laughs> we're looking at Revelation chapter uh, 3, but again, Colossians chapter 4. When you find Colossians chapter 4, verse 16, if you'll stand, please. Colossians 4, 16, and then we'll go over to the book of Revelation and read another verse. Chapter 4 and verse 16. And when this epistle is read among you, Cause it be read also in the church of the Laodiceans, and that ye likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. Then we go over to Revelation chapter 1 and verse 13. And this is an important verse as well. We're going to be in Revelation 3, but Revelation chapter 1. We'll be preaching from chapter 3, but chapter 1, verse 13. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. So who was that one like unto the Son of Man? We know that's Jesus. And the Old Testament's description was the Son of Man. That's the Lord Jesus. And guess where he is? He's in the midst of the church. He's here today. The candlestick represented the church. I'll let, I'll let you sit in a moment. It had seven lights. The center light was the most bright. Who's the head of the church? Six is the number of man. Six day we're made, six, 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 all those other sixes in the Bible. Seven's the number of completion. Without Christ, we're incomplete. And so the golden candlestick speaks of the church. And so we're going to look at one of the seven churches today, but just know that the Lord Jesus is in our midst today. Isn't that great? God bless us as we take a look in the book for a walk in the world. God, I know you're sovereign. You knew who would be here today. You knew what I would preach before the world began. You've laid this on my heart. Now I pray you speak to hearts. God, without you, none of this is possible. This service would be a waste of time if it weren't for you being in our midst. If it weren't for you indwelling the bodies of believers, and we are indeed the temple of yours, that you live in us and you want us to represent you well. And I pray today that I, I stand here that you'll speak, that your word will speak, and that people will be receptive to your word. We ask you to bless in these things all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. 
Now, the word revelation is a word you're familiar with. The Greek word is the word apocalypse. You've probably heard that thrown around in movies and things. It means to uncover or to unveil. John was not given all the information. Some things God didn't let him see, but he, he saw a lot in his visions, a lot of the future unfolding before his eyes. And John, of course, at this time is in his 90s. Remember, he was one of the original followers of Jesus, a fisherman. The Lord called he and his brother James. And he was a disciple. That means follower. Later, he's an apostle from the upper room. They're sent out. Jesus said, as the, Lord God, as the Father sent me, so send I you. So he became an apostle. We know that he was the one referred to as the one Jesus loved. And here he writes this apocalypse, this book of Revelation. And he's an old man. He writes these 404 verses and he speaks from an island, or writes from an island of Patmos. He's here on an island, and he talks so much about the, the future. He uses the word seven so many times. That's a word of completion we already mentioned throughout the Bible. I mean, Jericho and all the sevens, and Naaman and the seven uh, dips and dirty water. And uh, here we have the three judgments, seven each time, the seven churches, the seven woes, all these sevens. In, in this book he speaks about. And we know this book is a book of songs. It has more songs in it than any, any other book besides the book of Psalms or the book of songs. He uses examples of Israel's past to speak of the church today. There are six Laodiceas in the Bible. And the one he's speaking to is one where there was a church established. The word Laodicea means ruled by the people. Ruled by the people. Evidently the church didn't have any pastoral authority. And that's dangerous, and it's also dangerous to have too much pastoral authority. There has to be a balance. There has to be an accountability in every church. And so here they, they had a problem, and they obviously didn't have any spiritual leadership. This church was a wealthy church. It was a center of trade. They had a bank there. They were known for several things we'll talk about later. It was built by a Seleucid king, and his wife's name was Laodice, and so he named the city Laodicea. An earthquake destroyed this city about 62 years before Christ, but it was rebuilt, and uh, it's in ruins today, but it was rebuilt at one time. And we know this is the last of the seven churches. Maybe one day I'll preach the other six. It's the last, and it's in geographic order. If you look at a map and you just start with the first church, you go right down through the seven churches. The last one in geographical order is Laodicea. That's where that city is. They're listed in order. They were literal churches. That's why I started with Colossians, to let you see this was a literal church. Uh, some believe they're hypothetical. No, they're literal churches. And they were in geographical order as far as the way they're listed in the Bible. And some believe the seven churches line up with seven periods of church history. There are a couple little difficulties in matching some of the uh, periods up with church history. But certainly, if we look at this church, it certainly fits today because it was called the lukewarm church. And certainly the church today is lukewarm. And I remember in the 70s and 80s when churches were growing and booming and missionaries were being sent. Hundreds and thousands of missionaries from Moody Bible Institute and other Bible schools I could mention sent out to the mission field. It's not happening much today. Churches are more into building buildings than building lives. Churches are more into collecting uh, you know, money than collecting souls at harvest time. And we need to be more concerned with, with souls. I prayed this morning, God, give me compassion for those who need compassion and passion when I get up here to preach. That you'll know I believe what I'm preaching. 
And this is indeed God's word. So here we find uh, the, the church of the Laodiceans. And we read earlier where the Lord was in the midst of the church. And he writes here to the messengers. The Greek word here could be translated several ways in your Bible. It can mean pastors. And we believe that's what it means here today. That the messengers, the angels, were the pastors of the churches. And so we find here, picking up in verse 14, it says here, And under the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith, now notice all the names here for Jesus, saith the amen, the faithful, the true, I am the truth, John 14, 6, the witness, that's our word martyr, uh, the beginning of the creation of God, I like that name for our Lord, he's the beginning, you know, he's the source of creation. You think about that. Without God, we wouldn't have air to breathe. Did you know that every person in this world today is totally dependent on God for life? Think of that. They don't realize that he holds everything in its place by the word of his power. Without God, the earth could just slow down a little bit. Do you know if the earth stopped spinning for five seconds, we'd be totally drowned. We'd be covered in water. If the earth were further from the sun, we'd, we'd freeze to death. If we were any closer, we'd burn up in the hot time of the year. If we were further away, we'd freeze in the winter. Our heat wouldn't be able to keep us warm. It's all because God just holds it together. And he's called the beginnings. I, I like that. It says the beginning, excuse me, singular, of the creation of God. I like Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God. It all started with him. John 1.1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and then thir verse 13, or verse 14, excuse me, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among men. We see way back in the beginning the Trinity. Let us make man in our image. We know the Spirit moved upon the face of the waters. So we see God throughout Scripture. And uh, so we see here all these great names for God. But then we know Jesus is speaking here. You know that. If you have a Bible with words of red, and it's all God's word, if it's red or black, the words are all God's words. But Jesus is the one speaking here. And he says to the church here, I know thy works. It's an interesting word, the word works. We get our word energy from this word. He, he, knew, he knew all about their works. He even knew their motives. You know, so many times we do work and our motives are wrong. But God knew all about the Laodiceans. He knew their motives. He knew the motives of the hypocrites, the Sadducees and the Pharisees. He says, I know thy works that thou art neither hot nor cold. He said, you're not hot and you're not cold. I would rather, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing, I, I would thou wast cold or hot. He said, I, I, I'd rather you be either cold or hot because God hates lukewarmness. If you ever drink a cup of coffee and it's lukewarm, you're like, ugh, this doesn't taste good. It really doesn't taste any different, but the temperature bothers you, you know? And you don't like anything lukewarm. You don't like your hot food to be lukewarm. You know, if they bring you a plate in the restaurant and it's not very warm, you're like, this doesn't taste as good. We don't like lukewarmness. And God hates it. He can't stand it. You know, it talks in Scripture about God hating that. And here he says, I, I would rather you not be cold or hot. And we know it bothered him. And I use the word hate. It's a strong word. But God hates sin. And what is lukewarmness? It's sin. And, and they knew what God was saying. And here's why. They had an object lesson in the very city they were living in. I thought about bringing some photos of Laodicea today. I have 
probably uh, several hundred, four or five hundred uh, sermons where I have opening photos of places in, in, around the world, around the Holy Land, I should say. And when I preach, I'd always show the background of the city. But I got to where I, I thought when I was preaching, people were marking their notes and filling in the blanks too much, so I stopped all that. But Laodicea was a valley city. And their water would come down from some big uh, um, culverts, big, big round uh, tubes down the side of the mountain. And they tunnel it so it would come down into the city and it would settle in the Laodicean Valley. And they would actually go there and sit in this warm water. And in the summertime, it would get pretty hot. And they knew that that water was stagnant. It just had been sitting. Unfortunately, churches sometimes are like that pool of water. If you just are stagnant, you don't move, you don't, I'm a mover and a shaker. Um, you know, I told, I told someone, uh, when you get older, you got to be careful saying you're a mover and a shaker. Because that, that eventually happens when we begin to move and shake. And uh, so I, I want to say that my desire is to move forward and move fast. But I just can't go that fast anymore. But we need to move rather than be stagnant in our lives as believers. You can't just say, well, I'm saved. It's settled. I'm secure. It's over. No, we're given a commission. And we're supposed to be hot, red hot on fire for God. There's no lukewarmness with God. And so he, he says here uh, in, in the text, he, 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 he says, I don't want you to be lukewarm. Because that's what that water was. They'd have to trek up the hill to get their running cold water. And if they had drank the water in the, in the valley, it would be full of calcium. And guess what would happen? It'd make you sick. And so the Lord says, I want to spew you out of my mouth. That word means vomit. Puke. In other words, we make God sick when we're lukewarm. He says, I'd rather be one way or the other. I don't like lukewarmness. And that's a paraphrase, but he says, so verse 16, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. You make me puke. That's what God thinks of us when we're lukewarm. You know, he just couldn't stand it. Think about all the object lessons in Scripture. I think about the Lord when he's walking. We call it Hanukkah today, but they called it the lighting ceremony. And when he was walking and he noticed the lighting ceremony, he said, I am the light of the world. What an object lesson. Here he talks about lukewarmness. When he was passing the temple, he said, destroy this temple in three days. I'll rebuild it. They thought he was talking about the building, but what was he talking about? Three days. His body. And they said, you can't rebuild that temple in three days. What are you talking about? He wasn't talking about that building. He was talking about his body. Did you know your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost? God lives in you. Take care of your body. You know, do the best you can with what God gave you. Because your body is the dwelling place of God. This place is not as important as your body. Now, if I came in here and had some Seagram 7 whiskey... Well, you'd be so upset, pastors drinking whiskey in the auditorium. I don't drink. Some of you went, I don't drink. But you'd be so offended because you'd think this is terrible that, that he did that in this, in this place. This is not the sanctuary. This is only a building of sheetrock. So what would be worse, me carrying a bottle in here, setting it down there, not drinking it, or me drinking a bottle of Seagram 7? What's worse? Some of you think this building's the holy place. No, your body's the holy place. 
And what you put in it is, is, is what you put inside the place where God dwells. And he says, be not drunk with wine. Don't let wine control you. Be controlled by what? The Holy Spirit. And so he uses object lessons. When they were carrying water to the, the feast, he said, I am the water of life. You know, when they were, when they were uh, walking near the garden, what did he say? I am the vine, ye are the branches. Continual object lessons by Jesus. Here's another one. He, they knew what he was talking about with lukewarmness. They lived with that every day. They had to make that trek to get good water because they knew they couldn't drink the water of the valley. So when he said, you're lukewarm, it registered with them. You know, they understood that. And he says, and I would just soon vomit you out of my mouth. Lukewarmness, he hates it. Not only were they lukewarm, but they were lofty. What do you mean they were lofty? Well, he says in verse 16, one of the reasons they were lukewarm, he says, because. Notice what causes lukewarmness. Because you say, I don't need anything. I don't need anything. You know, arrogance and loftiness, pride, brings us down spiritually. Did you know the, that the, 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 the pride is the only disease which makes everyone sick except the one that has it? Nothing like arrogant people. He says, because thou sayest, I am rich and I don't need anything, increase with goods and have need of nothing. Because you say it. It's bad enough just to think it. But they said it. I don't need anything. Remember I said in the beginning, without God, we wouldn't even have air to breathe. We wouldn't even be able to exist. And one day, everybody knee's going to bow. One day, everyone's going to realize that. Can you imagine what would happen if we've just finished the tribulation and Jesus began to come down? You talk about astonishment. When we're gone, they're going to say, well, maybe there were aliens and all those movies told us the aliens were out there and there's life on other planets, all that hogwash. The Bible said, the earth hath he made for people. He made this earth for people. This is a special planet just for us. There's not another one out there. There's just this one. There's no life out there. They, oh, every few months, oh, they think they found a sign of a bacteria on this planet out there. So we're going to spend billions and billions of dollars and try to get to Venus. Now, I'm all for NASA. I mean, I'm thankful for our space program. I'm thankful for, you know, uh, you know we, we are so thankful for our cell phones. Without cell, phone, without cell phones, we'd, we'd, we'd be disappointed if we lost them all. But if it weren't for the satellites, we wouldn't have the cell phones, right? And some of you are thankful for television and others are sorry for television. I don't know which, which side it is. Depends if he gives you enough attention, you don't mind the TV. If he's giving you too much, you like the TV. I, I know my sister had nine kids. One of us said, she needs to get a TV. Uh, but, you know, we know that we have a lot of things today because of NASA. I'm thankful. I, you, know, you know, I was excited about the landing on the moon and all that stuff. But let me tell you something. The Bible said, why do we spend money for that which is not bread? Sometimes our government wastes money. I should say sometimes. I think we could say every day our government wastes money. There's more money wasted in our country. And we waste it as well. I mean, I buy things I don't need all the time because they're on sale. Well, so what? I, when I was a young married guy, my wife would come home and say, I saved some money today. At first I thought she meant she made a deposit at the bank. 
That's not what she meant. She found a deal. And I've done the same thing. Think, well, I've got to buy that because I'll save money. I had people who rented from me that couldn't pay their rent, but they spent money on habits they had that was more, more than the rent cost. We are not bad money managers. We are as Americans. We are as individuals. We are. We shouldn't waste money. But let me tell you something. If you get to the place where you think, I don't need anything, I'm rich, I'm increased with goods, and I don't need anything, you're in a bad place. And here, here's what he says. Now, it's interesting. He says, you don't realize that you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. That's, that's verse 17. Let me tell you about the Laodiceans. We told you in our introduction they had banking there. They were wealthy. It was sort of a place where everybody passed, so people invested there. They were also known for black wool. They made a lot of black wool. They were also known for eye ointment they developed in the temple of Alpheus, which is a deity, a, a, a healing deity. And we know that's a lot of nonsense. There's only one deity that heals. That's the Lord Jesus, King of kings and lords of lords and God of gods. He's the only true God, and he's the only great physician. But they had an eye balm, an ointment, an antibiotic that they had developed in this temple there. So they had money, they had wool, a lot of clothing, they had an eye ointment. But look what he says to them here. We'll get to it in a moment. Look at the first thing he says is in verse 17. First of all, he, says, I, I, I know, he said, you don't even know that you're wretched. You don't even know it, but you're wretched. The word wretched is an interesting word. Turn over to chapter 16. Chapter 16 and verse 21. And we'll find how this word is translated. I do that so you know I'm always telling you the truth and a strong concordance can bear me out. But it says here, And there fell upon men a great hail out of heaven, every stone about the weight of a talent. Now this is talking about the seven vials during the tribulation period. Hail stones are going to come down that weigh 100 pounds. And he said the weight of a talent. The word weight is the same translate is the same word, same Greek word. It's translated wretched back in chapter 3. It's translated weight here. You see, people who feel they have everything and are arrogant are really weighted down. And these were Christian people. But they were weighted down by sin and arrogance and didn't even realize it. He, he said... He said, one scholar said you could sum it up by saying these people were without peace. They didn't have any peace. All they had in their life was materialism. It's all they could think about. They couldn't stop for a moment and think about life because they'd get depressed. Because they'd realize they're wretched. Some people never stop and spend any time alone with God. Did you know sometimes you need to sit down and just listen to the Lord? When you pray, pause and say, all right, Lord. I've confessed my sin, and I've adored you, and I'm giving you the short of it. I have to be very respectful when I talk to God. But when you're done praying and asking and pouring your heart out to God, just sit there and listen. God will give you some ideas. He'll tell you what's wrong in your life. He'll tell you how to make decisions. He'll give you a peace. He'll, he'll give you a joy. Here it says they were wretched. They didn't have any peace. Then it says the next word is the word miserable, verse 17. You're you don't even know it, but you're wretched and you're miserable. And the word miserable, we could sum up by saying it means without joy. When your relationship with the Lord is not what it is, you don't have joy. Amen. I've said this before. The most miserable person on the face of the earth is a believer who's backslidden. 
The world doesn't know what it means to have the Holy Spirit in your heart just bugging you and bugging you and bugging you. He just doesn't leave. He says, you ought to be doing this. You ought to be doing that. And what happens? You're without joy because you know you disappoint the Lord. He's disappointed in you when you're not living right. These people were lukewarm. All they cared about was materialism. I had a Christian friend, very wealthy man, up in Pennsylvania. And every time I went up there, I had to go look at all his things his house, his cars, pictures of his other things that he didn't have there. And, and he was a, a good man, but he finally, finally came to the conclusion after he lost everything that, you know, materialism isn't the answer to everything in life. It's about a relationship with Jesus Christ. Sometimes you'll meet people who love the Lord, don't have much at all, and they have all kinds of joy, and you think, what's with those people? They got a beat-up car, they live in a run... I don't understand how they... They have a relationship. See, it's not about things. God didn't put us here to secure a pension and all that. We've said that before. God didn't put us here to make rank. I used to preach to the military guys. It's not about making rank. It's not about pleasing your commander. It's about pleasing the captain of our salvation, the Lord Jesus. Amen. And we, we, we just try to live and press people. And had a Christian businessman was talking to me a while back about someone he knew that just was trying to always impress people by his, his money. Listen, money means nothing unless it's devoted to God. And money pays our bills and we are thankful for it, but it's not about that. God owns a cattle on a thousand hills. He wants us to be devoted to him and to give to him, but you know what? He doesn't need us. He holds it all. Everything you have was his to begin with. So he says, you're wretched and you're miserable. And then notice what he says. Now, this is interesting. He says, you're poor. Now, wait a minute. These people, he already said, they were increased so much in riches, they didn't think they even need anything. Now he tells them they're poor. Why? Why are they poor? If they had all this money and these things, why would he say they're poor? Well, you know the answer, don't you? It's a rhetorical question. Because they didn't have the riches of God. They didn't have the riches of grace. They didn't have the riches of mercy. They had the riches of man, but not the riches of God. And listen, it, 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 you can have all the things the world has to offer. These were believers here. Remember, these were believers, affluent believers, a lot of money, banking. He says, you're poor. They didn't have God's riches. And he says, you're blind. Wait, now wait. Didn't they have this eye ointment? They did. They probably had better sight than anyone in the area. But God says you're blind. They didn't have any spiritual vision. Listen, if you don't have a spiritual goal or spiritual vision in your life, you're blind today. I don't care if you've had eye surgery and you have eyeglasses. I got eyeglasses and I couldn't get them out a minute ago. They're stuck in my pocket somehow. I don't know. But I need them. You know, I need them. But... But the thing of it is, if we don't have God's vision, we are blind. You can't see. Then he says something else. It's interesting. He said, you're naked. Naked? They had all that wool. They're rich people. Why does he say they're naked? Well, obviously, they don't have the robes of righteousness. They're not right with God. You know, when you're right with God, you're covered. He's not talking about physical clothing here. You know, the great thing about being a Christian is I'm covered. I'm covered. Physically, yes, thank God. But I'm also covered 
in the blood of Jesus Christ. And these people weren't covered. Their sin was unconfessed. And if your sin is unconfessed, you're out of fellowship with God. Did you know that? I don't care how long you've been saved. I was talking to someone just a few months ago, I, witnessing, and, and they said, oh, I've been a Christian all my life. How are you a Christian all your life? The Bible said believe and then be baptized. There has to be a time in your life, folks, when you've been born again. And that has to be a time when you were sincere and you realized you were lost. You realized you were a sinner and you cried out in sincerity to God. Not just some prayer you repeated after a Sunday school teacher. Well, I think that's wonderful. We can talk a lot of people into praying prayers. But see, salvation is in here. We believe in our heart. We don't just believe it here. And if you've never come to the Lord and repented and really truly were born again, the Bible teaches that you're separated from God for eternity. In fact, you're already damned to hell. Did you know Colossians says we were dead and before we were saved, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Now we are walking around as living beings, but we were still considered scripturally dead because as far as eternity was concerned, you were spiritually dead and you were dead and you've been dead forever and ever and ever if you've never been saved. And when you die, you're automatically separated from God for eternity. So he says we were dead in our trespasses and sins, but when the Lord Jesus Christ came in, he gave us life. I'm an eternal being today. I've always been an eternal being. At one time, I was eternally damned. Do you know that? Yeah, John says we're already condemned. You're already, he told Nicodemus, a very religious guy, you have to be born again, Nicodemus. Because he was already condemned. If Nicodemus had died, he would have perished. So if you're not saved today, you were already condemned. And you need to be born again. Because you're dead in your sins. You need to be born again. So he says to them, these believers, these church people, you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. And what does he say? He says, I counsel thee. I counsel thee. Let me give you some advice. To buy of me gold tried in fire, that thou mayest be rich, See, God's riches are all different, a whole different thing, aren't they? His riches are tried in fire. By me, gold tried in fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. He said, you've got to get covered up. And let me tell you something. When you have sin in your life, you're exposed as naked before God. He sees it all. He knows what your plans are for the sin of next week. He knows what you're scheming. He knows the thoughts and intentions of your heart, Hebrews chapter 4 says. He knows all about it. He knows what you're planning. He knows what you've done. He knows it all because he's God. He says here, Do not, that your nakedness does not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eyes so that thou mayest see. A backslider can't see any of God's vision, you know. He doesn't have a vision. You know, I like when you're called to preach. What I like about being a called man of God is he starts to put visions in my mind. I'm not talking about, I don't see things that you don't see. I'm not saying that. 
but I have thoughts. We need to do this. We need to do that. I want to do this. How can we reach people? God gives you ideas, and, and that's what I'm talking about with a vision of God. He puts ideas in your head. He, he guides you to a certain, in a certain direction, and you're thinking, aha, and then, then you pray about it, and you saturate it with prayer to make sure it's just not an idea of yours, and then God gives you peace, and as you go along, he, he may close the door, but he'll open another one. He'll just kind of guide you. He'll give you a vision and kind of guide you through. Because we're called to be leaders spiritually. I'm supposed to be your spiritual leader. I've got to have a vision. Got to have ideas for this church. So I pray, God, don't, don't have me be the leader of the church. Please, God, this is your church. I just want to follow you. Give me a vision. Let me follow you. And I could be a leadership example to the people as to, as to how you live your life and what you do. Direction is so important. And God says, I'll give you eyes that you can see. So they're, they're obviously lofty and lukewarm. They're also loved. Look what he says in verse 19. And this is an interesting verse. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. You know how to know God loves you? When you do the wrong thing, you're miserable inside. Keep doing it, he starts to spank you. That's what he does. Let's look at some scriptures. First of all, look at Titus chapter 1 and verse 9. This word rebuke, Titus 1.9. Just before Hebrews is, a, is the book of Titus, Timothy, Thessalonians, Timothy, and Titus chapter 1 and verse 9, and Philemon, and uh, I'm saying that to help myself because I'm lost. Verse 9, holding fast the faithful word, as he hath been taught, that ye may be able by sound doctrine to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. The word convince. That's the same word translated rebuke. We think of the word rebuke and we always think about confrontation. Raising our voice. Putting people in their place. But actually the Greek word means more to persuade and to teach and convince someone on something. You'll never gain anything by chewing another Christian out. You'll just hurt them. But if you are patient and you spend time with them, convincing them where they're wrong, you're going to help them. And they're going to appreciate it. Now, sometimes the word rebuke does mean that you have to speak firmly and correct somebody. If you've raised children, actually we raise crops. If you rear children, if you rear children, you know there's times you've got to say, knock it off. I'm tired of you doing that. Your attitude's bad. I don't want to see it again. That's not wrong. It's the right thing to do. But oftentimes we haven't taught our kids. You know, there's been times I've gotten upset at my kids and said, just do it because I said so. But really, the best way would be to explain to them what I want and why I want it. Because just chewing them out is sometimes a cop-out, and it's a lazy way of just getting to the point without really teaching them anything. And notice this word here, rebuke, and then the word chasten. While we're in Titus, look to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 25. 2 Timothy 2, 25. Here, this word where it's translated chasten in our 
uh, text, it's translated, here's 2 Timothy 2.25, it's translated instruct. In meekness, instructing. You know, chasing involves instructing. When God chastens you, it's to teach you something. Now, the Bible says no chastening seems joyous. I mean, it's tough to be chastened by God. Because you know what God does? He takes something that's important to us. He'll, 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 he'll hit us where it hurts, you know. When he chastens us, he means business and it hurts. But it's to teach us. Whenever you instruct your children, when you chasten your children, you, you, you're not... Of course, it's easier said than done, but you're not supposed to be easy. I mean, easy. You're not supposed to be angry. I mean, you can, you're not supposed to chasten them in anger. You are angry about their sin, but you need to calm down before you grab a hold of them. And then when you discipline your, them, you have to explain to them why you're disciplining them. To a two-year-old, what did daddy say? Did daddy say no? He looks around. What did daddy say? And he, he knows. He, he even knows what you're asking. And then finally he'll say, you said no. And then say, but you kept doing it, didn't you? Yeah. I have to spank you. Wham! That's how it works. That's how it works. You see, chastening involves instruction. Whenever something bad happens to a Christian, you need to ask, all right, why is this happening to me? Am I being chastened? Or am I just being tested and tried? Because there's different reasons Bad things happen. Is God going to get glory out of this? Of course he is. But not everything you think is chasing is necessarily chastening. But you have to listen because God wants us when he chases us to learn something. To learn something. I learned a long time ago when God took something away from me that meant a lot to me. He was instructing me and I need to understand that. So he says, whom the Lord loves, he rebukes and he chastens. Look at Job 5.17. Job 5.17. Great, great verse. Job chapter 5, verse 17. Worth marking in your Bible. You should write in your Bible. You should mark in your Bible. Then you come back years later, you know what it means. This isn't very hard to figure out. Behold, happy. That same word, Hebrew word, is translated blessed. Happy and blessed. In Psalm chapter 2, verse 1, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. That word blessed, same word here. Behold, happy or blessed, happy is the man whom God correcteth. Therefore despise not thou the chastening of the Almighty. Don't get mad about it. Don't blame God. He warns you by his Holy Spirit. Don't despise this chastening because whom the Lord loveth he what kind of a father would we be, Hebrews says? You know, what kind of a father? If we don't spank our kids, what kind of a father are we? We're not a very good one. What kind of father would God be? God's a perfect father. We know that. But if he didn't chasten us? Look at uh, 1 Corinthians 11. This is a little bit scary. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I have a preacher I know. He's with the Lord now. His testimony was that he was not going to preach. He was, he was not going to submit to that. He was not going to preach. He didn't care how he felt that God had called him. He was not going to preach. He ended up in the hospital with throat cancer. And he laying in the hospital and they said, you're not going to ever speak again. He said, God, I'll preach if you want me to. And he preached for 40 years. It was God, the great physician, says, all right then. 
I'll touch that throat. Isn't that like God? Huh? Yeah, just, God can just go. It's all done. God can just think of it. He can speak the world into existence. Think of that. He spoke, it happened. And if he says you're healed, you're healed. You're healed. And we know that guy preached for 40. Look at this. And this is a little bit scary. Think about this. Lord's Supper. We're going to take it Thanksgiving. The week of Thanksgiving. We'll look at the calendar. Maybe that Sunday night, Wednesday night. I don't know. But we're going to take the Lord's Supper that week. Whom the Lord loveth, he chastens. We know that. Look at 1 Corinthians 11, verse 30 and verse 32. We know that he's talking about examining yourself before you take of the Lord's Supper. We know we tell people, confess your sin. Don't have any sin in your life because if you do, look what it says in verse 30. Verse 28, examine yourself. Verse 30, for this cause many are weak and sickly among you. And many what? Sleep. Look at verse 32. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. But you know what? Some Christians are dead today. You know why? God kept chastening them. He kept speaking to them. And he disciplined them. He warned them and he warned them and he spanked them. And he said, I got to just ground you permanently. You're done because you don't serve me and you don't live for me. That's sad. Now, not everybody who goes to be with the Lord is in sin. Don't think like that. But there are some that aren't in this world today because the Bible says they didn't make things right and for this cause, many are dead. That's what the word means. So think about that. When you continue in sin, it says, shall we continue in sin that grace can abound? Shall we just keep sinning because we're under grace? And it said, God forbid. That literally means God will not allow it to happen. He'll keep spanking you and warning you, and eventually, bam, you're in bad shape. And you're thinking, what's going on? And then you finally, sometimes God puts us on our back to get us to look up. And you think, well, I know why this is happening to me. Back to our text. Whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. Then he says, verse 19, be zealous, therefore, and repent. Wouldn't it be great if we had more zeal about repenting? We have zeal about a lot of things, but what about repentance? Be zealous. It's closely related to our word jealous. That's the other side of the coin. We're to be zealous for our Lord. Did you know God's a jealous God? Huh? He hates it when you put everything ahead of him. He hates it. He gets mad about it. God hates sin. And he gets angry at us. He never sins himself. But he hates us to love or put anything ahead of him. And you know in your life what it is, I don't know. Then he, he has this wonderful verse, verse 20, that's often mistaken as a salvation verse, but it's not about salvation. It's about fellowship. You know what God wants from us? Time. Spend time with God. Behold, I stand at the door. He's talking to Christians and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and will sup with him and he with me. That word sup. It's all about breaking bread with the Lord. Wouldn't you like to have been in the upper room when they were breaking the bread and dipping it in the sop and that olive oil mixed with whatever and they're eating it and you're there and Jesus is just talking to you? Wouldn't you like to have been there? 
While we can't physically be there, we can have that kind of fellowship with our Lord today. By prayer. Confess your sin. Start talking to God. Spend time with God. Get a closet and be with God. He says, I want a fellowship with you. And he closes saying, to him that overcometh will I grant to sit in my throne. Sit in my throne. Look, look at 1 John 5, 5. Who are these overcomers? Well, let's look at 1 John 5, 5. It tells us that. This is the last place we'll turn. We'll go back and we'll close out. 1 John 5, 5. It says in 1 John 5, 5. Who is he that overcometh the world? Who are the overcomers? Well, it tells us. He that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. Do you have faith in the Lord Jesus? Some cults deny that he's the Son of God. That's why we call him cults. He is the Son of God. We're all children of God, but he's the Son, the definite article. He's the one. He says back in our text, To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my Father in his throne. And then he closes with a final statement. And he says, Listen. He that hath ears, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. And he says that in every one of these churches, he closes. Listen to what the Spirit says. Are you listening today? Let's pray. God, we don't know hearts, but you do. We sometimes think we do, but we're usually wrong. But you know every heart here today. You know who's saved and who's not. You know who's right with you and who's not. You know who's playing a part. You know who's acting. You know who is living a life that's not right. You know who you're chasing, who you're going to chase, and you know it all. But God, we also know in our hearts when things aren't right. God, I'm asking you to have folks today in their hearts decide they're going to live for God. No matter what, they're going to live for God. When the devil tests them and tempts them to not live, that they're going to live for God. No matter what happens, Jesus is first in their life. Bless us now. And it's his son's Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing. Amen. Let's sing our invitational hymn, page 300.
Joy, don't go anywhere just yet. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you so much for your man this morning. Thank you so much for your message. Lord God, I pray that you help us each to dial into your Holy Spirit and focus on not being the Christian that makes God sick, not being the church that makes God sick. God, help us to be on fire and be hot with a fervent zeal for you in these days ahead, in these last days. God, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. i got to do something before we dismiss. Dismiss. Today is a special day. It is Brother Dan Mao's birthday, so I want to sing him happy birthday as well. If I could have everybody sit down unless your birthday is in October. If your birthday is in October, remain standing. It quite, could quite possibly be the best month to have a birthday. I mean, October is probably the best month to have a birthday by no questions asked. Uh, some of you say, why in the world are you saying that? I, you tell me, um, but October is probably the best month you could possibly have a birthday in. Some of you are pointing the finger at me because, yes, my birthday is this month. But let's sing happy birthday to these fine folks. Listen to Brother Dan this morning. We have a basket out there. You can drop cards, kind words, and gifts. Thank you, church. You are dismissed. See you tonight at 5 o'clock.